Well, this morning, um, my focus will be in Job chapter 3, but I would like to begin uh, reading this morning in Job chapter 2. Job chapter 3 will be my focus. Job chapter 2 will be where I begin reading this morning. Uh, If you recall uh, the triumphant faith of Job when he'd endured the the greatest of trials. Uh, We read that in chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, or 20, it says, And Job fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we come to chapter 2, uh, we read something similar to this in, chapter, in verse 10. It speaks here that in all, his, all this, even after the, uh, Satan had opportunity to uh, afflict his body, it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We see this triumphant faith here. So glory, we're at the mountaintop of the faith of Job here. But time is passing now. In verse 11, we pick up, it says, Now when Job's friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him. And comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. We understand this as we see people who are sick in in their hospital bed. We haven't seen them in a while. We come in and we see them. Their bodies are emaciated. They've lost weight. Their cheeks are sunken in. We say, "I I don't even recognize this person anymore. They've lost pounds that leave them unrecognizable. It says they raised their voices and wept. He was unrecognizable. The sore boils were all over his body. He had been scraping his boils with with pottery, and uh, it was probably startling to them. It says, and each of them tore his robe, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, how did Job get from this mountaintop of faith to now this man is cursing the very day of his birth. We go from the mountaintop of Job's faith, and now Job finds himself in the valley of despair. This is a good lesson to us. When we know people are, have gone through affliction, when they've had loss, It's not always that immediate time when the funeral is going on that they need the most help. It's sometimes after that time 
when they need your encouragement, when they need a, a text message or a, an email or a call just to remind them of the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. Job finds himself in the valley of despair. Some of the words of Job chapter 3 are very difficult, very hard to really wrap our minds around. How he, he fell from such height of, heights of faith to where he is now. If I were to title this portion right here of Job's speech, it, I would call it the, perhaps the monologue of misery. The treatise of trouble. Perhaps the soliloquy of sorrow. This is Job here as we read through these port, this portion here in chapter 3. This is Job here speaking from the depths of the darkness of his soul. He is giving full vent to his anguish that is present in his soul as he seeks to make sense of what he is enduring. Now before we read this portion here and Consider a few things, and I'm going to hit it at a very high level. I want to give you a few truths to guide us in our consideration of Job 3. Number one, Job was a blameless man, but he was not perfect. He was not perfect. As I have said to you over and over again, Job was a blameless man in the sight of God. There was nothing that anyone could say and accuse Job of and say, this man is a licentious man, a lascivious man. No, this man was a a righteous man. He was, in fact, considered by God. And the testimony of God himself was that Job was a righteous man, a, a blameless man, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. But he was not perfect. And there is only one who has suffered perfectly, and that is our Savior. Only Jesus has suffered perfectly, not Job. Job was a man with faults and problems and issues. Secondly, there are other portions of Scripture in which we find the exposure of the depth of the soul where godly men are despairing. In Psalm 88, just read a couple of portions of that right there, beginning in verse 4, it says, the psalmist says, I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20, he too at times despaired. Verse 14 is very similar to what we read in what we'll read in just a minute in the book of Job. In Job chapter three, it says 
in verse 14 of, Job, of Jeremiah 20, cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying a baby boy is, has been born to you. It's very similar to what we'll read in just a moment and made him very happy. Let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting and let them him hear our, an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon because he did not kill me before birth. In the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul. When he was afflicted by his enemies, it says in 2 Corinthians, it says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. And so this is not uncommon. This is not uncommon to see people even men of great faith and godly men who, who at times despair and, and, and struggle and wrestle with their affliction. Thirdly, Job, we must remember this, Job is commended to us as an example of suffering with patient endurance. Although we'll read some things that, that sound like he's wavering, we must understand that the Bible commends to us Job as, a, as an example of patient endurance. In James chapter 5, it says, We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And you'll say, well, how, how can a man who says such things, how can he be set forth as an example of patient endurance? Well, how can David be considered by God in, in Acts chapter 13 as a man after God's own heart when you read what he did with Bathsheba and, and, and the, the murder of, his, of her husband and then the lying and deception that, that followed that? How can we say that? We see that. It wasn't his normal pattern of his life. He repented. And we'll see also with Job later on. He will repent of the things that he's saying and the way he's thinking. And yes, he's still set forth for us as an example of patient enduring in our suffering. Fourth, although we are not commending Job's response, we need to be careful that we are not quick to condemn Job and sit in, in judgment of his suffering. Is it okay to think the way that Job is thinking? No. Job is wrong. He, he's off base in the way he's thinking when we see him in chapter 3. He's off base. But we have to understand that Job lost absolutely everything. Everything was snatched out from under him. Everything he knew was taken from him. And so instead of looking at him with an eye of judgment, we need to look at Job and have a measure of sympathy for what he is enduring as he goes through this very difficult trial. You consider Job. Job, now he, he remember, he used to rise up. He'd make 
prayers and sacrifices for his children. That is no more. That's been taken away from him. He, he perhaps would, would have his children come to his home and he would hear their voices and his wife talking in the background and maybe, re, maybe having times of conversation. That is gone now. He he'll no longer has it. He, never, he does no longer hears the bleeding of sheep and camel in the background because all that has been snatched from him. So we need to have a sense of compassion here for Job and, and sympathy for what he is, he is enduring. And not sit in judgment and say, oh, I would never do that. I would never say that. We need to read Job 3 with a humble heart and not think that we would never get to this point spiritually. We don't need to do that, okay? Never need to think, well, I would never say the things that Job is saying. I'd never get to that point. Paul talks to the Corinthian church, and he, he, he recounted and cataloged all the sins of their forefathers. The, the, the adultery, the fornication, the, the, the sexual immorality, the idol worship. And perhaps the Corinthian church, were, they were saying, well, we would never do such things as that. In their pride and their arrogance. And, and, and Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And so we need to be mindful of that we are but dust. We are humans. We are sinners. We have remaining corruption in our, in our, in our soul, even still. And, and we have all types of corruption there. And yes, we can be drawn away and we can get to the place where we are speaking the same words that Job is speaking. Do you think you're more righteous than Job? course we could get here. By the grace of God, prayerfully, none of us get to this place. And you probably have never felt the suffering that Job has, has felt by any stretch of the imagination. We've never been there where Job is. And God forbid that you have such a tragic event in your life that, that is so overwhelming, you can't really Wrap your minds around it and you can't really endure what is happening to you at that time. But this has happened to Job. Perhaps you've never lost a child or a parent. He lost 10. You see, parents never think in their minds, I'm going to bury my children. It's usually natural, the natural order of things is that children would typically bury their parents. He buried all ten of his. Seven boys, seven sons, and three daughters. He buried all of them. Can you imagine sitting and going through that time and time again, all those funerals, burying his children one after another? So this is where Job is. And so out of this, it says, afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. 
He's cursing the day of his birth. Verse 2, it says, and Job said, he's, he's, he's by the way, he's, he's saying, in essence, I wish this had never happened. I wish the day of my birth would be removed from the calendar. He says, let the day perish, he says in verse 3, on which I was to be born. And the night which said a boy is conceived. He says, may that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor let light shine on it. He's saying this day should be removed from the calendar. It should no longer exist because I was born on that day. May it not be because my anguish is so great. I wish that I had never been born is what he's saying here. Now, again, I'm not commending this to you as, as a, a, a right response to this. I am commending to you. I'm saying to you this is that this is what a man who is in very deep anguish is dealing with. He is speaking out of his humanity and out of his anguish. Verse five, he says, let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. He then begins to talk about his conception. As for that night, he said, I wish I wasn't even conceived. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of months of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. And so he's even cursing the night of his conception. He says, I wish not only do I wish I was never born. I wish I was never conceived. Verse 80 says, let those curse it who curse the day. He's now talking here about those who would be considered those uh, professional cursers, the soothsayers, the, uh, the, the, those who would uh, dabble in uh, the occult, perhaps even. He said, let them curse the day of my birth, of my conception. Who prepare to rouse Leviathan, Leviathan, let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none. And let it not see the breaking dawn. Because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. He's saying. I wish my mother had never conceived me. Her womb would have been shut up, barren, without the ability to conceive. Uh, That she would have never had relations even with, with my father to bring this about, my existence about. I wish that never had happened. You can see here in verse 10, he's saying, He's letting us know why. He says, because of my trouble. I want this trouble hidden from my eyes. It's overwhelming me, is what he's saying here. 
And he goes on into verse 11, 11 through 19. He speaks here of how he wants now to his, his death to be hastened. Now, he's not speaking here about taking his own life. We, we, we have to understand that he's not saying that by any means. Uh, he's not commending that to us at all as, a, as, a, as an option. He's just saying, I just wish I had never been born. He says in verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. You see, this is why I'm saying this is hard to hear. But you see the anguish of his soul now coming through in these words. By the way, this is all written in poetry. The first two chapters are prose. And then we get into this section right here between chapter two and verse 42, the first part of 42. All this is poetry. All the dialogues or all the the, the, uh, monologues that take place by his friends and by Job between chapter 2 and chapter 42 are all poetry. He says, why did the knees receive me? Verse 12. And why the breasts that I should suck? He's saying here, why did my mother do the things that needed to be done in order to preserve my life? Why did she feed me? Why did she give me food? That would be for my nourishment and for the sustaining of my body so that I might live and to and be a a thriving young child. Why? Why did this happen? I'd rather not be here, he's saying here. He says, for now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest. Now, understand, Job is not giving to us here a, the, any doctrine necessarily concerning the afterlife. He's just stating plain truths and realities. He's not going through a, a, a doctrinal dissertation on what happens after we die. Now, he does believe in the afterlife. We see this later on. He'll talk in, in chapter 19 about, uh, about the resurrection. He'll talk about a redeemer. So we understand Job understands that there is a redeemer and there's a there's a time of resurrection that will take place. And this life right now is a short lived life and there's going to be a day of resurrection. He's now enduring. His suffering right now. He's just stating. Really what's coming from his heart. Verse 14 with kings and with counselors of the earth. Who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold, who were filling their houses with silver. He's saying here. That. It would better been better for him to have died to expired early. That way, at least he'd be at rest right now. He'd be with the kings who had built these kingdoms and. All these others who had gone on, who had died, and now they are in Sheol, he would say, perhaps even. At least they're at rest right now, and I want to be at rest, too, is what he's saying. Now, we say this on the other side of, of the cross. We understand this. Sometimes you're in your suffering, your pain, you say things like this. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
Because we want to be removed from this suffering, this time of, of, of difficulty that we're enduring right now. Maybe even the world around us. So we might even say, you might even hear saints who are on their, on their sick bed saying, I just want to go home. They're talking out of their suffering and their pain. This is what Job is doing here. Verse 16, he says, Or like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be, as infants that never saw light. He's saying, I would rather have been a miscarriage. There the wicked cease from raging, and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. The anguish of his soul is being poured out. As one commentary said, he is vomiting out all of his anguish. Verse 20, it says, why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? It's beginning to ask questions of God now. Why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? He's, he's basically saying he's not asking the question, why do people suffer? He's saying, why do those who suffer continue to live? Verse 22, he says, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave. Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? He uses this word hedge right here. If you remember, that was Satan's accusation against Job. He says, Job only worships you, God, because you, you have... You have blessed him and now you've placed a hedge around him and all of his possessions and all of his life. Well, now Job is saying. It's not that God has put a hedge around me to protect me, but God has he's he's hedged me around in this prison. Now I'm in prison in this life now because I can't escape. It says, verse 24, for my groaning comes at the sight of my food and my cries pour out like water. He says, for what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. In other words, Job is confessing his anxiety. He's confessing, I have fears. And what I fear are certain realities and truths, and those things have come upon me. Perhaps Job, as he was going to, to, to plead for his children before God, perhaps he was in fear that perhaps something they had done, now perhaps God would bring upon them his judgment upon them and bring their lives to an end. Or perhaps he thought, maybe something like this will happen to my children. We all understand this, right? No one wants to hear... The phone ring late at night. We dread that ringing of the phone late at night because we, we, we believe that we are going to he, be the, 
there's going to be on the other end a bearer of bad news, perhaps pertaining to our children. When our children are at work, it's dark outside or, or whatever, even not even dark. We, 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 we pray and we say, God, protect them, and allow them to come home safely. We understand these at times we fear things. We've, we have fears that things will come upon us. Let me just pause. Do you, do you have those fears? Do you think in your mind, I hope this doesn't happen to my children? I hope this doesn't happen to me, sickness. And we, we, we can think about it. Those are three things that we probably, if all of us would kind of examine our hearts and say, these are the things I probably worry most about. Being able to provide for my family, my children, and my own physical health. Job is living, in his mind, his own nightmare. What he has dreaded has absolutely come upon him. He says, he finishes with, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. So the question I asked you before is, how did Job get here? How did Job get from worshiping? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord to curse in the day of his birth. Well, I submit to you a couple of things. I believe got Job to this point. One, I believe Job feels as if God has hidden his face from him. He believes that God has forsaken him. In Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 9, Job says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. Job is... Feeling that God has forsaken him. Now, is that true? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is not true. God has not forsaken Job. Remember, we talked about this. God is in the trouble with Job. God is there with Job right now, even as he is enduring this and he's thinking through what is happening to me right now. What am I going through right now? Why am I dealing with this right now? God is there with Job. He has not forsaken Job. And we know this from the scriptures. He would never leave us, nor will he forsake us. But sometimes when you're in the the throes of, of suffering, you feel that way. You cry out to God and you, you want God to answer and relieve you of your suffering, but he does not. And you think in your mind, does God hear me? 
And the answer is, amen, he does hear you. God does hear you in your time of suffering. He hears you. If you are a child of God, the, the, when you cry out to heaven, your, your, your prayers do not stop at the ceiling of your home, but they ascend to heaven to the throne of grace. And God hears you. He is the God who is there in your suffering. Secondly, I believe that Job is just simply overwhelmed by his suffering. It's just a simple reality. He's, who would not be? I mean, he's, he's just absolutely overwhelmed at what he's enduring. You know, as I read through the book of Job in these portions right here, I, I, I've, I've, I thought to myself, if, if I heard this about another person, a young mother, and I, this first time I heard about her, and I just, it talks about her just, just saying she, she was driving and, and she got into a, an awful car wreck and all three of her children were in the car with her, died, and, and she was left to live and alone by herself. Her husband, hurting, hearing the news, had a heart attack. We would weep over this. We'd have sympathy for that person. And, and this, should, this should cause in our own soul a, 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 a weeping, in a sense, with Job here. We should be weeping with this man. This is, listen, this is not a, uh, we would call a, an allegory here. This is a real man. He's mentioned alongside of Noah and Daniel in, in the book of Jeremiah. He's overwhelmed by his suffering. It's kind of the language we heard from the Apostle Paul. He spoke of his own suffering. In 2 Corinthians, where it says that, and he used these words here, he said, But we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, for our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, Beyond our strength. Job is beyond his strength right now. It's where he is. He's beyond his strength. And now he's despairing. Just like the Apostle Paul did in 2 Corinthians 1.8. Job is overwhelmed by his suffering. Thirdly, I believe Job's, Job's focus and the reason he's struggling right now is Job's focus has turned from God to his suffering. He's turned from God and considering God, the sovereign God who has brought these things to him, and now he's focused on his suffering. This is why he says in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, because speaking of not wanting to be born or conceived, he says, because it did not, speaking of his mother's womb, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Job is now concentrating on his trouble. He's concentrating on his trouble. 
when we begin to concentrate on our trials and not on God, we develop spiritual myopia. Now, what is myopia? Myopia is simply nearsightedness. Job was having a hard time because he had developed spiritual myopia. He was focusing on his trial and not seeing beyond the immediate destruction of his home, destruction of his flesh, and the destruction of his earthly goods. He was not seeing beyond those things, and now he is struggling with thinking rightly about who God is and about his situation now, because he's not turned his eyes upon the Lord in these things, and he's turned his eyes now to his suffering. We all understand this. We, we do. We, we do. We understand this. We, when things, tragic things happen, it just begins to consume your mind. I think his mind is absolutely consumed with all that is going on right now, and he's lost perspective. He has now spiritual myopia. He's not able to see clearly and and now have the right perspective of what is going on. His perspective now is distorted by the fact that he is no longer focusing primarily on God and what God is doing through this trial, but now he is focusing on the trial itself. As believers, we're going through trials and difficulties, tragedy. We have to fix our eyes upon the Lord. If we do not, then we can go down this pathway of despair. Now, we need to think rightly about it. And Job was not. Job was like the psalmist in Psalm 73. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 73. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Here's the myopia. The psalmist here has spiritual myopia. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant. As I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart runs riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Verse 10. Therefore, his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. 
they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the most high? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus. Behold, I would betray the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Then verse 16 says this. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. You see, he is he. When he came into the sanctuary, his focus became clear. And now he's seeing things clearly now. He says, until I came into the sanctuary of God. When he came into the sanctuary of God, clarity came and flooded his mind now. If you read the rest of Psalm 73, you'll see that now he's able to to have a proper perspective of what was taking place with him. The psalmist is. But Job has lost perspective. He doesn't see clearly because he's focused on his trial. This is what the psalmist was doing. He was not focused on, he was was focused on the wicked. When he was focused on the wicked, what happened? He wasn't able to see clearly. He even would say things like this. Have I, have I maintained my integrity for nothing? Of course not. The psalmist was very open about what he was feeling at the time and thinking about. But God cleared up. Now this is a reminder to us of God's means of grace. God has provided a means of grace in your suffering, in your tragedy. You don't forsake the Lord today. You may not feel like being here because of your sorrow. You may not feel like being in the company of the saints because of your, your pain and your suffering, but this is where you need to be because if you don't come here, your perspective is clouded. And you need to be among the saints of God in order to, to really clearly see, and in the worship of God, in order to really clearly see your situation rightly. If you forsake this time when you're struggling, It's not for the betterment of your soul. It's for the detriment of your soul. You need to be here. You need to hear the word of God. You need to hear the saints of God singing the the, the praises of God and being taught from the word of God. When we sing songs, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. You need to be in the company of the saints to hear those things. And as we teach one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, God encourages your heart. And gives you what you need in order to continue on and not go into that place of despair. You need to press in. Listen, I know you you, you press in here. 
during those times especially. Let me end with these things, this right here quickly. Instead of focusing on our trial or our affliction, we need to see our trial and our affliction as an opportunity. When you were, if you took my, if you went through the, uh, my discipleship group on biblical peacemaking in the book uh, by Ken Sandy, he says that trials are, or actually conflict is an opportunity that God provides for us. And he gives us three opportunities. So it is also when it comes to suffering. Those three opportunities are this. Suffering, trials, conflict, because I believe conflict is a type of trial. Conflict, suffering provides for us, first of all, the opportunity to glorify God. God is giving to you an opportunity to glorify him when you are going through trials. You have been given a unique and special opportunity to glorify God, one that you would never have apart from being in that trial. It's a special, uh, ordained opportunity for you to glorify God. Secondly, we need to see our trials, our, our afflictions, as an opportunity to serve others. How can you serve others out of your affliction? What do you need to do in order to serve others and to, to be a help to the body of Christ in your suffering? Think through that. How does God perhaps want you to comfort someone with the comfort that you have been comforted with by the Holy Comforter? Because you've endured something of a like kind or some sort of tragedy that they themselves have endured. I encourage you. If you've lost a child, you know, find someone else who else has lost a child. Find a way to encourage them in that. If you've lost a parent or a wife or a spouse, find someone who is of a like tragedy that you've endured and, and seek an opportunity to serve them by encouraging them through the scriptures. By reminding them that you're going to pray for them. Remember them on that day when that happened or that time period when that happened. Pray for them. Let them know that you, they're on your mind. You're thinking about them. Let them know you love them. Remind them of the word of God. What does God's word say about these, these things that have come upon them? It's an opportunity to serve others. You have a, you have a long-standing illness or sickness. Speak truth to someone else you know is dealing with the same thing. Comfort someone with the comfort that you yourself have received. 
And then finally, we've said before, it's an opportunity to grow to be like Christ. Keep that in mind. Job actually, if you read further on, Job understood this. This is a period of time he was just struggling, okay? He understood this. He says, I'll come out like fine gold after this. He understood that. But this moment in time right here was a troubled soul pouring out all that's in his heart. And to God be the glory in that as well. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would understand the depth of Job's pain and suffering and that we would be those who Lord, don't lose sight of what you are doing in our suffering. That we would not be a myopic in our suffering. That we would have spiritually 2020 vision not being nearsighted but that we would be able to see you in all that you are doing in our hearts and our lives and, and even in those around us Lord we plead with you that as we that you would help us to not be overwhelmed by our circumstances we would have the right perspective that we would live in light of you, the sovereign God who is sovereign over our trials. May we think biblically and rightly about things. We pray, God, that you would or not allow us to despair and get to that place where we are despairing like Job and even despairing of life, but rather that we would be triumphant in our suffering. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.